And a very good morning to you. Welcome into today's programme. We're with you right through until 12 midday. We're looking at the ending of the evictions ban. We're looking at illegal turf cutting still happening. International Women's Day is tomorrow, but we're looking forward to that. We go motoring with Jerry Murphy. The Druid Theatre Company are coming back into town with a wonderful production. And we've got a wonderful giveaway. All of that and more between now and 12 midday. The comment lines are open on 086 38 33 55 3 with thanks to Rationale Windows. If you want to get in contact with us, good morning. And a very good morning to you. Welcome into today's programme. The comment lines are all open today. Now we have a wonderful giveaway all of this week in association with the team in Aran Island Ferries to um, celebrate their 40 years uh, in business since 1983. And their 90-minute cruise to Inishmore from Galway City recommences on the 7th of April and an exciting mini-break for locals and tourists alike as well. We've got a daily prize. The winner can select either a ferry ticket for two from Rosseville Terminal to any of the Aran Islands year-round or a ferry ticket for two from Galway Docks to Inishmore and the Cliffs of Moher cruise on the way back valid from April to September of this year and all prizes are subject to availability and pre-booking is required we also have an end of week prize which will see you upgraded each and every one of our daily winners to a night in Ordainia uh, bed and breakfast on Inishmore a family run bed and breakfast so that's up for grabs on Friday as well quite simply we ask you a very simple question and once we ask you the question you send us in and uh, the uh, answer and you send it to you can whatsapp us or text us to 086 38 33 so today's question which of the islands uh, was the Banshee of Inishirn filmed on which of the islands was the Banshee of Inishirn filmed on if you think you know text us straight away now, I want to go to Martin O'Connor uh, Deputy Chief Executive of Cope Galway and I want to go to Jerry Coffey from um Again, President of the IPAV, and he's um, an auctioneer at Williamstown in County Galway. But the government and the cabinet today will be discussing a decision which was made last evening by uh, all the leaders of the various parties that the eviction ban at the end of the month will be lifted, but some renters could remain in homes until June. The ending of the moratorium on a phase basis out to June is already provided for in legislation. But last night, the Minister for Housing, Dara O'Brien, discussed the winter eviction moratorium with the uh, government party leaders. And it was agreed at that meeting that Mr O'Brien would bring a detailed memo to the Cabinet this morning to seek approval for it. Uh, let me go, though, to uh, Jerry Coffey, who joins you on the line first. Jerry, good morning to you. Good morning, Keith, and good morning to our listeners. Thanks and for joining us. Thanks indeed for joining us uh, today on the uh, programme. What do you feel that this eviction ban is going to do? The lifting of it? Well, I don't know. The lifting of it, Keith, is, is, is all. I think the three government leaders uh, decided it wasn't an easy decision for them to, to, to make. Uh, there's no winners in this. My heart goes out to anyone that's in a homeless situation. But I suppose the eviction ban hasn't worked, Keith, because landlords are still leaving the market and it's it's more about getting more properties in i think the other there's a couple of problems here and i think we need to look at the problems the first before we pick the solutions i think we have an increased population and i think we've almost sixty thousand ukrainians have moved into ireland in the last year so all of them deserve a house as well so i just think we don't have enough housing stock uh, I think there's a demonization of landlords and i speak to landlords all the time as other agents around the country and landlords uh, feeling victimised and, and, and uh, 
they're they're selling up because of interest rates are increasing and it's probably easier and less hassle than 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 having a, a property rented. I think a lot of the problems are small landlords that maybe has one property that was their pension plan and uh, they, they they're just getting out of the market. It's not due to the houses being more valuable or anything like that, but I think it's the hassle that's involved in in tenants and the taxes that's related to being a landlord and I think there are some of the problems and I, I don't know what the solutions are, Keith, but hopefully I think we all need, all agree that we need to start building more houses and uh, and maybe look at the modular home or expansion of, of, of vacant properties that are out there. I think there's lots of issues that can be resolved, but having a, a moratorium on, on evictions for three months didn't work and won't work going forward. But the situation is, you're saying that landlords are leaving the market because of... Uh, the PRETP and all of the other legislation going with it, they're being penalised effectively for having uh, a second or third property outside of their family home. That's that's basically what's happening. I think you have to look at the, at the problem that's there and, you know, it's the tax rates, it's the tenants that don't pay their rents. 90% of tenants are fine, but you always get these, I'm sure on your radio programme and lots of other radio programmes around the country, there's issues being brought up about social issues that's happening on estates and stuff like that. And, yeah. um, you know, I, I have a situation where I have an, Amer- uh, an Australian guy, a guy, local guy, had bought a house there two or three years ago, wants to move back uh, to start his children in the local national school, and he can't actually return back to Ireland because his tenant, while she's wanting to move to another area, uh, the, she's playing the eviction ban here, and he can't move back, and she... While she may have another house, she's she's utilising the eviction ban that's there and, and not moving out of the house. So there's, there's, there's no simple solution to this problem, Keith, you know? Explain that to me. Is it because the eviction ban moratorium was in place that he gave notice from Australia and she said she's using that even though she has another uh, house to go to, but she's using that to stay in the house? Is she paying the rent? Yeah, correct. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, it's 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 uh, subsidised rent. She's she's paying little rent, and I'm not getting into the details of it. But you know, th- there is situations there where she's uh, she she doesn't have to move out by the letter of the law. But you know, she could move out if she wanted to. But he can't move. It's just a, it's it's the care, house of cards effect. He can't move over. He was to move at Christmas. Um, she said, "I recognise the ban." But she's playing the system there for that. Uh, her her ban will kick in again in, in, at the end of March, you know. So she'll get another three months, even though she had been served the proper notice and everything with the PRTB. And like she's a fine tenant, and there's nothing wrong with her. But because this ban has come in, she's she's in it, and she can play the game, you know. So she's exploiting the ban, even though she has an alternative residence to go to. Yeah. That's correct. Can you stay with me if you don't mind? I want to go to Martin O'Connor of yeah. uh, Cope Galway. Uh, Martin, good morning to you. Good morning, Keith. Um, again, I'm sure you've come across situations like that yourself, but it's an interesting take that Jerry Coffey has on this. It hasn't worked. Well, I think it, it, to look at what the purpose of the moratorium was, um, it, uh, I, I mean, it was really around um, addressing the stem and are stemming the flow of people into homelessness. And in the, coming into the winter, and you'll recall this last September, October time, locally here in Galway, we were we were making this point repeatedly, but across the country, we were seeing uh, such a flow of uh, families and single people into homelessness that something had to be done to stem that. Now, look, I can't disagree with Jerry on a lot of what he has said there. 
in terms of landlords and the, the role they play in the provision of housing and the fact that landlords are coming out of it. There's a lot of accidental landlords, in effect, who, as, as Jerry said, invested in property um, and now are looking to get out of it. They saw, they saw it as their pension, and I'd agree with him. I mean, the, many of them bought at the height of the market in the mid-noughties. So in, in terms of coming out of it, now they're not, they're not coming out of it with an ethnic necessarily from it. But the reality here is that the eviction moratorium that was introduced in late October was put there really to stem the flow into homelessness. And I guess our concern here is now that we're we're um, we're coming to the end of March. Not enough has been done in the interim. I know that the government, as well as announcing that the ban wouldn't and the moratorium wouldn't be extended beyond the 31st of March, also spoke about supports in terms of landlords. Now this is four, nearly four and a half months from when the moratorium was first introduced. So there needs to be, you know, quicker, more timely. Um, initiatives and the implementation of those. And we know that there's a lot happening in terms of longer term initiatives, but in the interim, we certainly the 31st of March for us is, is a date and beyond which we are dreading. And the reason we are dreading it is that the emergency accommodation system and the homeless provision in this city and beyond is actually at capacity. And each month we hear the figures being announced for the numbers of people who are homeless. Now, those figures don't actually reflect the reality of, of homelessness. What they what they reflect are the numbers of people who are being provided with emergency accommodation. Mm. The reality locally here and beyond is that that's more now a reflection of what the capacity in emergency accommodation is. Last evening, we, we um, activated the severe weather provision here in Galway City with 16 people that we accommodated in a community centre last night who would otherwise have slept rough. Now, that's indicative of the issue here. If there was capacity in the emergency accommodation system, those 16 people and actually six further people over and above those 16 that our outreach team had contact with early this morning sleeping in the city centre, that's 22 people. If there was okay. capacity in the system, th that would be absorbed. Our okay. concern here is that with the ending of the moratorium on, on, on evictions, uh, while it's going to address and maybe work towards solving one problem, it's actually going to compound matters for people who are at risk of homelessness and people who are already homeless. I'll come back to last night uh, separately, if you don't mind, just before we finish on this yeah. one. But I mean, the situation is you're dreading the end of March. You're dreading then uh, the landlords issuing um, eviction notices uh, to tenants for you know, for whatever reason that may be, your family coming home and or otherwise, or they just want to uh, sell the property. Um, but again, Jerry, I'm, your your mic is open as well uh, today. I mean, Martin puts up a very good argument on, on one side, and he's dreading that day coming. Yeah, I suppose he does. And in fairness to Martin and people like Martin that do ter tremendous work there to 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 solve the problem or try to solve the problem, um, you know. But like he, the same problem is that we have a shortage of supply here. So if I have ten landlords that even want to buy a property and rent it out because they can rent the properties out. There's no properties out there to do that. We've had no houses being built. We've had certain a political agenda to demonise landlords. We've a certain political agenda to object to planning applications to object to houses being built. You know, we're we're trying to put a band-aid on a on a tsunami at this stage because the problem has been there for years and it's not going to be solved by an eviction ban of three months. And I'm sure Martin will recognise that fact. We're in a in a bad situation here now, and I think the one of the solutions 
is, you know, let's accommodate people in every vacant property that's available. Take, for example, the Catholic Church. They own a lot of property, vacant houses, all that. I think these need to be fast-tracked in and, and, and people that are out there. There's a lot of vacant properties around the country. Some of them, they cannot be rented out. You know, people that are in nursing homes, they may, they, you know, my own mother is in a nursing home. I'd love to rent her house out, but I can't because she keeps telling us, oh, I'm coming home, I'm coming home. Yeah. So with respects, if, if she did come home some evening, she doesn't want to see other people in her property. So there's there's always a narrative there that you can say, we can solve this, but it's so hard to solve it. And I think the growth of modular homes where they're, they're built in factories and they're brought to a site, and I think you and I spoke on this a couple of weeks ago, Keith, as well. Uh, this, this, this is a fast-tracking way of doing it. The service sites are there. It's easy to connect into electricity and sewerage. And I think while there's great work being done by these housing associations and all that, uh, I, I think there's lots of things that need tweaking to make this problem a uh, uh, solution. But to be honest, Keith, I don't think auctioneers have the solution. I don't think organisations that, great organisations like American Warfare, we don't have the solution at our fingertips. Uh, this is a bigger problem. No, but I mean, I think if you hit the nail on the head, there's, there's so many people in nursing homes and we were in the same position uh, until recently, but I mean, you're respecting your mother's wishes fully knowing with all due respect to your mom and I don't know her medical condition, it's a chance there she won't come home. Um, Correct. Again, right. or else if she passes on in a few years' time, you'll bring her home for a night. Uh, but there are there are situations like that up and down in every village and every town. But it's to it's to deal with the family and to give the family solace and to give them confidence that the system will work. And Coke Gallo have done this uh, very effectively, Jerry, in the past. So they have, and they've managed the property and they they continue to manage the property. But it's it's. To to give the comfort to the families in question that if and when uh, they have to turn that house over for whatever reason, that they can have it back again. It's this, it's a chicken and egg situation, Jerry. really. Martin, do you have anything to say it, on it that? It is. And final point I'd say there to you, Keith, sorry, just, you know, like we all experience homelessness. My son, two, three years ago, was down in UL in Limerick. And for the first two weeks, he lived in, in, uh, in a hotel. He's on an Erasmus program in France, and he said it was easier to spend this six months uh, in France, his accommodation for 275 euros a month, rather than, as he called it, couch surf. He's already booked his house. He booked his house a year in advance for Limerick. He booked his house last October for starting in September in, in things. So, you know, every family, uh, you know, they have a family that has kids in college. They know what homelessness is about, yeah. the same as the people that uh, Martin represents. Well, I actually think Airbnb is making a dog's dinner at the property market in Ireland, but anyway, that's my personal thoughts on it. Uh, I think that if you look in for Galway, there's so m- much uh, property available on Airbnb at, at very high rates and it's being used every weekend and it's, it's idle a lot of the time during the week as well. Jerry, I better, I, let you, keep, yeah. I better let you do some work today. Martin, um, again, coming back to that, and you've done that successfully where family members have signed over or agreed to lease for a short or long yeah, and we've, and we've and we've used properties in that manner in the short term and it's provided an alternative to accommodating a family in a B&B, for example, where we're able to accommodate them in a, a normal conventional home setting. And then, um, you know, I suppose in that situation, when a family then secures move-on accommodation, we're in a position to hand back that unit or if it's still available, to continue to use it. But just a couple, a couple of points there that Jerry covered. I mean, I, I have to agree with him in, the, in that there isn't, the, the housing capacity isn't there. So 
as in usable housing. So, I mean, there are schemes being operated by the government and um, being progressed to bring um, vacant homes back into use. So that needs to progress and needs to be fast-tracked. Uh, additional social housing undoubtedly has to be a major part of the solution here because there's a growing cohort and proportion of the population who are never going to be in a position to afford a home of their own yeah. from their own resources. And the social housing system is there. And I mean, the approved housing bodies, there's a massive amount of work happening locally and nationally in respect of the approved housing bodies. The I suppose drawing the, and I'm not disagreeing with Jerry in the sense of the obviously the, the challenge his son faced in terms of trying to secure accommodation for a student. I think the difference here is for a student, that's for a finite period of time. It's through a period that they're in college are not for one moment belittling it that it's not challenging and difficult at that time. I think the issue for somebody, for a family or for a person who has no prospect or has little prospect of securing housing and for whom there isn't any end line in this. So this is their life. This is this is where this is where they're at. Um, I think you know it's enormously challenging. We see it day to day now with families and people we're working with in our services. There's an almost sense of hopelessness that they're experiencing. They get setback after setback in terms mm. of pursuing accommodation. And Jerry's right. The solution here isn't coming from auctioneers um, and from private landlords. They're part of the solution undoubtedly, um, but additional social housing and to actually have, there's more, you know, more housing is needed, bring back into use what's vacant, but furthermore, um, to develop new and particularly new social housing. I mean, I was, I came in to work a different way this morning and I passed by uh, a development which is, seems to be going on forever and ever and ever. And apartments, I spoke to a builder indeed last night about something else altogether, a personal matter that he rang me about. And he said that he will never build apartments again because they take so long uh, to build and finish and uh, to get the money back on them. He just said it's 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 a very long gestation period from when you yeah. break soil to when you when the forty four apartments are occupied. So if he if he is a builder is frustrated, you can understand. But there's other, another housing estate I passed uh, this morning. It's actually going on for two years. So there is a lack of tradesmen to finish out and women to finish out these homes as well. So it really is, it's a collective approach um, that has to be taken here. But I think Keith, what you touched on there, I mean, these are developments that are underway. They will be completed. Eventually. Um, it's maybe taking, maybe eventually, maybe taking longer. Um, and I guess if we look at the moratorium on evictions, um, it's that additional housing. This is about buying time and this is about minimising and lessening the, uh, I mean, the damaging impact this has on people's lives, the yeah. uncertainty that it introduces. And I take it, I mean, um, they're, they're, it's very challenging out there for landlords um, as well as, as it is for tenants. But the fact that somebody could lose the roof from over their head through no fault of their own um, and not be able to secure other housing for themselves and their family, that's really, really difficult. Can I, it is, yeah. Can I come back, though, to um, capacity? I mean, you said last evening uh, that the Winter Initiative, you uh, opened a, a community centre indeed, and 16 people plus six other 22 um, were housed there last night indeed. But they're back on the road again today, or they're back out on the streets today. So how many nights will you open that centre for? Yeah, so I suppose we've been keeping an eye on the forecast, the weather forecast over the past week or so, and um, we 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 could see that sub-zero temperatures were forecast for last night and for tonight. Now, furthermore, the updated forecast over the last 24 hours is showing that extending into Wednesday night as far as Thursday morning. So now we're planning towards that. This is the severe weather provision. It's a piece. This is the second winter in Galway that this has been in place. 
a community centre, the City Council make a community centre available and the staff there facilitate and support us in relation to get, activating this uh, and the staff in the Housing Department and City Council then we look to our own staff to staff it. It's activated at short notice, it's nighttime accommodation, camp beds, sleeping bags, pillows, uh, hot meal provided. Um, so it, it really is, it's a sticking plaster at best, but during mm. periods of particularly where there's persistent sub-zero temperatures, and again, looking at tomorrow night, looking at the forecast, as well as freezing temperatures, there's also some snow forecast for Galway City. So, you know, th th it's those situations that we're looking at, we're looking at are very much a very basic humanitarian response. It's about preserving life and preserving safety. Um, and Absolutely. I guess, the, and that's what we we brought into operation last evening. But of the sixteen that uh, went into this emergency accommodation, um, have they engaged with Cope Galway before, or have they refused to engage with Cope Galway? Uh, yeah, I mean, most of them would be known would be known to us. I, I um, in some instances, I guess what we are seeing is people who will be engaged with us on an ongoing basis. In other instances, we're we're coming across people that we might have a knowledge of, but little little more than knowing their name yeah. and their whereabouts. Um, a lot of a lot of different factors contribute to people sleeping rough. Um, for some, they're presenting to us. This winter has been very challenging. We have people presenting to us on a daily basis, and we haven't had the capacity okay. to accommodate them. That's unlike previous winters. Um, and I guess it points to the it points to just how the system is stretched to the nth degree. And in Galway City, twenty additional beds. Galway City Council worked with us and supported us to bring twenty additional beds on stream for this winter. So without those twenty additional beds, it would it would have been a god awful situation that okay. we would have faced. But we're we're nothing compared to what people themselves would have faced mm. on a on a night to night basis. So. You know, come back to your question. It's a mix of people. Some people we we will know and we will be engaged with. Other people we will have less less knowledge of. But again, our aim is to work with people to find longer term and sustainable solutions. Um, and we recognise this is for what it is. It's a humanitarian response that's okay. there to safeguard people against harm. All right, not it's not easy, not easy on any of them. So it's not. And I've had somebody in town over the weekend who just um, lives in Dublin and was down in Galway, and I met them for coffee on Sunday. And uh, they they couldn't get over the amount of uh, people on Saturday night that were sleeping on the streets of Galway. Just couldn't get over. Yeah. Said it was far worse in uh, Dublin. Uh, so it's not reflection on Cope Galway or Galway Simon, by the way, at all. Uh, it's just yeah. his his perception. Non-drinker, and uh, was walking downtown after dinner uh, on Saturday night. He went uh, and I met him for coffee on Sunday, and he was just shocked by the amount of people. That yeah, were no, it's a dis it's a it's a disheartening situation, uh, and I think it's you know. For anybody living in and and working in Galway, but I know for our for our people on the ground there, yeah. I mean, it is just a day to day challenge, and 100%. it is it is soul destroying at times to see to see this situation. And unfortunately, and again, I was going back to the moratorium on evictions. Um, initiatives like the moratorium on evictions are folk are are about. Uh, ultimately safeguarding people through the worst months of the year. Yeah. I know they, they, there's a reference to the model in France where each winter there's such an eviction ban brought in just to safeguard people against being without a roof over their heads through the, through the winter period. Okay. But the reality we've seen here in Galway, unfortunately, this winter is that um, we've consistently had people uh, on the streets without a place to stay each, each and most nights. It is very sad. Martin O'Connor, sorry to keep you so long. And uh, Jerry, thank you for joining us. Jerry Coffee as well. Uh, Williamstown, thank you for joining us uh, today. It's very, we've given that time this morning because it is very sad uh, to see somebody out 
uh, sleeping in a cardboard box on a night like last night and six people uh, slept on the streets of Galway last night and the 16 people who were facilitated in the community centre uh, will be facilitated again tonight and tomorrow night. Galway Talks, in association with Tesco. Click and Collect allows you to collect your order whenever suits you. Very good morning to you. Welcome in to the programme now. The government, the government, the government, our government, are failing to prevent prevent illegal turf cutting 12 years after a ban, says the conservation group. Porrick Fogarty joins me from Irish Wildlife Trust. And the figures show that peat extraction is on the rise despite compensation schemes uh, with raised bogs in special areas of conservation uh, facing um, destruction. Porrick, good uh, morning. How are you today? Good morning, I'm well, thanks. Thanks for joining us. Um, are these the bogs, now forgive me, I want to, I want to go back. Are these, the, um, are these the, the banks of turf indeed that were bought out and the compensation given and either alternative banks of turf or a financial settlement was reached? And are you saying that these people now or other people are going back and cutting these? Yeah, exactly. So the, this, this people might remember over a decade ago there was there were eruptions, eruptions. Uh, in the country over a proposed end to turf cutting in special areas of conservation. So this is 53 different areas around the country that are the best remaining examples of raised bogs that we have left in Ireland. And as you say, at the time there was a deal struck with the turf cutters uh, to compensate them. Uh, they were offered alternative sites to cut turf if they wanted to continue to do that, or they were offered uh, truckloads of, of fuel if they wanted it. And the compensation was €1,500 Euro a year uh, for 15 years. Now, what we have seen is that, in fact, turf cutting never stopped on SACs. Uh, the data we got from last year show that it's accelerating. But uh, if you go back to 2012, which was the first year which should have seen a total ban on all turf cutting in SACs, we see that um, there was a dip that year, but then that slowly increased. Uh, it dipped a little bit and now it's back up again. But we have 15 of these SACs at the moment where uh, turf cutting uh, is ongoing and is problematic. These people, quite simply though, are breaking the law, Porik. That's the bottom line, not it? It is, yeah, absolutely. Um, but the, the state is not intervening. The state is monitoring this. We, we're getting the data every year. We, we found it a bit harder to get the data this year. The European Union is monitoring it. Uh, they have said they, they're going to reopen infringement proceedings against the Irish state for not stopping it. But effectively, nothing is being done. It's no different to somebody walking into uh, one of our national museums and walking out with the exhibits and the guards just standing there looking at them. But no, I'm not going back to the heady days of uh, when the Gardaí were there and there were standoffs on those people. And there was, I mean, I covered it extensively at the time. Um, but I mean, the situation is if agreement was reached and somebody else is cutting that piece of precious ground that you've referred to, and they're not supposed to be, they're breaking the law. If somebody's bringing machinery in to cut on that land, they're breaking the law. Or if they're just walking in with the land thrown over their shoulder, which is highly unlikely in this day and age, they're breaking the law. So, so there's a number of people breaking the law here that can be held accountable rather than kind of raising the dust again of what happened 10, 12, 15 years ago. 
Yeah, it's, it is as simple as that. Uh, we've been through all the acrimony. We're really disappointed that, you know, uh, we're, we, we don't seem to have made very much progress. And a lot of people took the compensation at the time and accepted that things had to change. And those people have been looking on uh, at maybe their neighbours or friends who didn't take the deal and uh, when continued turf cutting and have been basically getting away with it. And we hear anecdotally that a lot of those people have decided, well, sure, I may as well go back in and, and uh, cut a bit of turf now myself because nothing is uh, nobody's going to come and stop me. And we also see that the the fifteen year period for the compensation is coming to an end in a, in a few years. So. Um, that incentive is, is going to be gone. Uh, but, I, I mean, at the end of the day, it, it comes down to uh, a total lack of enforcement by the state. Yeah, but I'm trying to get my head around the part, I guess, to find out, like, who's going to make a decision on this and who's going to stop it? Like, if I want to go out and... I saw the OPW maintain land just outside the studio window here. But if I, I decide to go and pull out my chainsaw and uh, sharpen the saw and take down a few fairly hefty trees and uh, chop them up and walk away. I won't get away with that. And what's the difference uh, if I went into a, a forest belonging to the OPW and or otherwise and cut down the trees? What's the difference with that and cutting turf? Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Uh, and our minister Malcolm Noonan promised us last year that there'd be a zero tolerance approach towards wildlife crime. But we also know that the Independent Biodiversity Forum has said that the state is the biggest transgressor of environmental law. Now, I, I mean, I mean, this is a question really for the minister involved as to why action isn't being taken and why uh, this zero tolerance approach to wildlife crime clearly is just a very selective approach for particular types of crime committed by particular types of people. And Paul Crogerty of Irish Wildlife Trust, can I ask you, is it happening in Galway? Yes, so Galway is actually one of the worst offenders uh, uh, in terms of the number of bogs that are affected. Um, Yeah, so so mostly uh, in East Galway, uh, Roscommon kind of area. But there should, there should be no tolerance for this, Boric, I'm sorry. And I, I'm going to see, can I get somebody else on this as well? There should be zero tolerance for this. If the people who had rights and turbulent rights on that bog have been paid off, uh, be it once-off payment, be it annual, whatever it is, if they've been paid off and they've accepted that and signed the contract and somebody else goes in squatting and continues to cut turf and or otherwise, be it a family member or an extended family member, that is breaking the law. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I totally, I totally agree with you. Uh, How we've been we highlighting it? this for years. Uh, we've, we've, we've put it to the minister himself in in meetings. Uh, so and we know the European Union is taking action. The problem is the state seems quite determined to do nothing. Uh, the European Commission is very slow to do anything. Uh, they may get around to imposing fines at some point, but we've seen also that the state is quite prepared to pay fines uh, rather than take uh, hard decisions. Can I ask you, is this the state taking a a lazy attitude towards this because there's a general election coming up in two years' time and a local election coming up next year? Well, I mean, it's it's definitely a political issue. Everything around turf uh, is politicised. Uh, it's not just around special areas of conservation. And I think that's probably what's at the heart of it, that... Um, 
you know, people, politicians uh, know that uh, this is a very sensitive issue and nobody wants to be seen to be coming down hard uh, on the law. But at the same time, this is uh, this is our natural heritage. Uh, it's uh, the local amenity for, for people. It's our air quality. It's our water quality. Uh, it's our common heritage. Uh, but what we're seeing is the politics around turf really has been hijacked by uh, what I think is a relatively small number of people and is preventing uh, measures that we know need to be taken for the greater good. It still isn't right. I, I go back to my analogy. If I go and pull up my chainsaw and go into one of the, the many parks we have, say Connemara National Park, and decide, oh, I like the look of that tree and I'll take that tree, that tree and that tree down. I'll chop it up, throw it in the back of the trailer and I'll walk away scot-free. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a funny uh, analogy that you've used there because the state did exactly that uh, in Connemara National Park a couple of years ago, and uh, and nothing happened. Oh, uh, we know also the European Court of Justice has uh, is taking Ireland to court for complete. Uh, lack of implementation of the Habitats Directive. So, I mean, this kind of ignoring of environmental law in the hope that it'll go away uh, is endemic in Ireland. We won't solve it uh, today, but uh, where can they get further details on the bogs in Galway? Again, is where the biggest offenders. Why am I not surprised about that? But anyway, uh, where can they get further details on the actual bogs themselves, Paulie Fogarty? Yes, yeah, so the, well, the full details of the uh, the turf cutting in SACs is on our website. It's iwt.ie, uh, and there's information on the individual bogs themselves on the National Parks and Wildlife website. All right, listen. Thanks, Eddie, for joining us uh, today on the program. We won't solve it, uh, but certainly we'll um, just uh, throw it out there and see. Uh, just bear with me one second there, if you don't mind, uh, Porik. I'm just uh, being told something in the headphones. Just trying to get uh, somebody up here uh, on the line who has a thought process on this. I have four minutes um, before I go to the next ad break. So bear with me, uh, Porik, if you don't mind, uh, please. Let me go to line one, I'm told, on this one. I want to go to Deputy Michael Fitzmaurice. Perhaps he's coming up on the line now. Uh, Deputy Fitzmaurice, uh, good morning to you. Thanks for taking our call at short notice. And we're talking to Porik Fogarty here about uh, the, the illegal cutting of turf in Galway, again, it's the worst county. Uh, what's your take on this? People were paid, and this was sorted out 10 years ago, and now people are back in these bogs. Well, first of all, I think Porik might uh, to pay him better to do a little bit more research than what was there. I read through some of the documentation. Uh, I see a Snigira, actually, and it's beside myself at home, and I should know it fairly well. And there was alleged turf cutting, which there wasn't because of the relocation bog. Um, I would check the factual information. First of all, it's on it. Second of all, um, instead of criticizing turf cutters or criticizing the government of the national parks, Parik, unfortunately, didn't, wouldn't be engaged in trying to resolve issues that has been pretty contentious. And uh, just for his own information, there is... Um, Three more bogs that we have, complexes we call them, um, that we have been resolving over the winter period. And we are making progress right around the country. Um, and that's from hard work from the ordinary people there and indeed from the national parks. So it might pay Parik better to engage in, in uh, helping people um, or to not be talking about people when we are as turf cutters engaging with the national parks, working with them and resolving so, the issues. 
Okay. Um, it's a slow process. I've talked about it many s- times. Okay, one second though, Michael. Are you saying to me, so this is not happening on the bogs that Porrick has spoken about? No, I'm not saying, I'm not, I, I, I have looked at the number of bogs he has talked about it. Yes, there will be turf cut on some of the bogs. I'm not saying that. But there is also an well, is that not breaking the law though? Well, it all depends on what is the law, uh, Keith. In the line of uh, the whole situation, the turf cutting communities were willing at all stages, people that didn't want the money to take a relocation bog. Yeah. That is a slow hold on, that is a slow process. We have worked with the national parks and are working when I said that we have three more bogs resolved. Uh, in one of them is actually in in County Galway, yeah. One of them is in County Galway. We have three more bogs resolved. There was fifty three or four. It's now this forty eight or nine uh, fully resolved. And we are working on solutions for the other ones, the way that both uh, we fulfill what the, the states or the national parks require, but also the most important of this, you must remember, it's private property okay. and people people are working with them on a continuous basis. So um, I saw that article yesterday evening and I just said to myself, um, it is sad to see someone that hasn't engaged in the whole thing in the line of trying to resolve the issue if they knew what it was to try and resolve okay. one bog not to mind okay, let, it let, would pay them better um, Porik I didn't do you want to just respond briefly on that Porik Fogarty Yes, please. Uh, and I think your listeners need to be reminded, of course, that Michael Fitzmaurice is the chairman of the Turf Cutters and Contractors yeah, Association, so he has a financial interest uh, in all of this. And of course, the other thing is Michael is a public representative, so he might use this opportunity on the airwaves to condemn illegal activity. Uh, as for the figures, I mean, the figures are from the Department of uh, of Housing, uh, who've been monitoring it, so the, the figures are pretty reliable. Uh, but I mean, again, I would come back to this issue that this has been ongoing now for over a decade, the situation is getting worse. And Michael, I think, should use this opportunity now to condemn what is illegal activity. I'd say there's two chances, but Michael, last word to you. Well, first of all, um, it's no new, no new, no new news that Michael Fitzmaurice has a turf machine. Okay. I never deny that in my ni- life. Never will. I'm actually proud of it. In case Parik doesn't know. Second of all, I will never condemn people that are trying to find resolutions to something. Unlike Park, who wants to go on the media and go criticizing people. There's only one way this will ever be solved. That is working together. And when you look at a bog, you're not looking at just a turf bank heat. You could be looking at seven, eight hundred people within a bog that have turbary rights, that have fee simple rights, 11 different rights. We are working on a continual basis, engage with the national parks in this, and we are getting their bit by bit. The in, what does Porik want? Does Porik want the in game to be that like in 2011, everyone will be on the, in the trenches and nobody from the states will be able to stand on our bogs or our private property? Or does he want an in game when we fulfill what uh, the government require, but most importantly that we also fulfill what our turf cutters need. And the turf cutters have been very reasonable people in relation to some of them took compensation and people are willing to go five or six miles to a bog. And it may pay Park better. It may pay Park better. 
and his cronies in the environmental lobby that when we get a relocation bug, that they don't be objecting to planning permission like in Kildare. Okay. That may pay them better in resolving the issue than coming on your radio station or any other one or going on the media trying to criticise people. Porik, uh, would you be prepared to sit down in a, with a calm, cool, collect uh, conversation with uh, Michael Fitzmaurice? Rather than we I have no problem talking to to anybody. Uh, we have been engaging with this issue for. He, I mean, the Irish Wildlife Trust has been around for yeah, uh, nearly fifty just, years. He, he so, disagrees. I mean, the protection of our bogs has always been a priority. So, I mean, the, the problem is that uh, than the negotiations on, happened. Yeah, the deals were arrived at. Uh, the accommodations, the compensation, all of that was agreed, and we just haven't seen that deal being enforced. Okay, he's saying that you're not part of the solution. So if you were to become part of the solution, would you sit with Michael Fitzmaurice? The first thing is, is, we have to recognise that it's people's private property. That's the first thing. At the end of the day, where Parik lives in, wherever he lives in Dublin or wherever, he has no skin in the game other than go criticising people. It's like okay. having a field there. We are working to resolve this issue, and we are working constructively, actually, with the national parks. Okay. And if you want a situation where you put people back, like you remember 2011, Keith, you covered okay. it many a time, in the trenches. Is that what Parik wants? Or does he want that the okay. likes of the truckers and contractors okay. and the state are working together to resolve these issues? Okay. And, and, and and like there's no other game in town to be quite no, frank well, can I it. ask you the same question because I have to go to an outbreak would you sit with Porrick Fogarty in a room and discuss this like two adults look at it I've sat with everybody but at no, the end of the sit day with Porrick Fogarty but at the end of the day Keith it's the people with skin in the game Porrick is living in well, you're, represent, you're, rep, you're, so you're representing people with skin in the game I will game. always sit down with people and, and explain the whole situation okay. at any time in any place Okay. Alright, thank you so much for joining us uh, today, Deputy Michael Fitzmaurice and Porrick Fogarty of the Irish Wildlife Trust. Didn't expect that was going to go that way, but sure, there you go. Skin in the game is something that we'll be uh, keeping a close eye on from here on. And it's coming into turf cutting season as well. I think I need a rest. Galway Tones, in association with Tesco. Find our award-winning Irish ranges in store and online at tesco.ie. A very good morning to you. Don't forget, in association with the team in uh, Aran Island f- Ferries, um, which of the islands was the Banshees of Inishir and Filmdon? Text us straight away. We're back with news next. Galway Talks, in association with Tesco. Click and Collect allows you to collect your order whenever suits you.